felt so good like anything was possible. Hit cruise control and rub my eyes. The last three days, the rain was unstoppable. It was always cold, no sunshine. That's from Tom Petty's Running Down a Dream, and I think that fits pretty well with what a lot of people experience trying to get to their own goals and their own dreams. It can seem so good at some points, so easy to just hit that cruise control and keep going toward that, uh, that eventual goal, but then on other days it feels like the wind's blowing right in your face. So I'll talk about that a little bit later, but for now, welcome to Settle the Far. This is Corey Garvey, and this is the podcast where I sit down and I talk to people who make big jumps in their lives. That might be to a new location, a new career, possibly a new community, about what it was that motivated them to make that switch, and what the process was like actually going through it and, and the things that they learned along the way. You can find the podcast on iTunes, uh, Spotify, uh, Google Play, as well as my website, podcast.coreygarvey.com. And I'd love to hear feedback. Anyone who listens to this, please give me a review, send me an email, find me online. I would love to hear what you have to say. I'm, I'm uh, sort of just starting to get used to this. And, and if you have suggestions for guests who might be a good addition to the show, I'm very open to that and would love to hear from you. Today I will be playing, um, this is a conversation I had with a good friend of mine, Sid Shekhar. Sid has been living in London for the last four years or so, and prior to that he was living in the United States, as well as in Turkey for part of his uh, childhood. He went through a lot of different stages within his life of figuring out what he wanted to do, where he wanted to be, and at this point he runs a company called Token Analyst, which uh, works in the blockchain and cryptocurrency space in London. And his journey to get here has been full of sort of looking internally at what it is he wants and what it's going to take to get to that point. I think everyone's going to enjoy sort of his perspective on things and the decisions that he's made along the way to sort of keep him on the right path and keep him on the path that he knew that he wanted to go down. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Sid Shekhar. Hey Sid, thanks for sitting down with me today. Hey, thanks so much for you know organizing and look forward to chatting. Yeah, uh, I think it's pretty cool that we had met in a program to start companies and now we're sitting here in your company's office. That's not such a bad, uh, pretty quickly too. I'd say this is only about a year after we first met. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So time just flies, man. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to ask you first about where you've found yourself reading at times. And I know you've brought up to me that one of your favorite places to read is a bookstore here in London. So can you tell me about how that started, how that came about? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. This is, uh, well, well, to be honest, so books are kind of, it's especially bookstores, right? It's kind of a, a solid, like a place of solace you know where you go to where I personally go to kind of lose myself in a way uh, what about the bookstore uh, a it's just the variety of kind of covers that are just shouting at your attention to to you know pick off pick off the bookshelf and check them out read them flip through them different titles you know different covers different subjects you know that kind of peak different areas of curiosity where you're like hey I want to check that out I wonder what the maternity diet book says, you know, for example, <laughs> as random as that is, right? Uh, versus, I want to know what, 
you know, business, uh, you know, leadership, et cetera, et cetera, versus a, a, you know, hardcore computer network engineering book. So different areas that, you know, especially people who are curious about different things, it's super, it's just such a stimulating environment uh, to be in. And for me personally, you know, it was, uh, it kind of developed when I was living alone in the States, in, in Nashville. Uh, had a, you know, I came into the city, you know, moved in for work, and essentially I knew no one in the city, in Nashville. And uh, on weekends, you know, it was literally just something to do, where it's, it was, A, I would go to the gym in the morning, you know, and, you know, do my daily routine, clean up the house, et cetera, et cetera, do the administrative tasks, and then it was, okay, how can I use this weekend productively? I can, A, take an online course, uh, you know, because I didn't know too many people, I could try to go meet people, but most people were with their family, with their friends, et cetera, et cetera, on the weekends. It wasn't a time for meetups or social gatherings to meet random people. So weekend, midday, especially Saturday and Sunday, like Sunday midday was the ideal time to just do something to benefit or, or you know, improve yourself. And and so I would just drive over to the Barnes & Noble, which was a couple blocks down. It was perfect, you know, five five minute drive. Just go in there and, and they had really, really comfortable couches by the windows and coffee and, and you know, just looking looking by the people, I just grab a stack of books, go there. I would, first of all, peruse the bookshelves, you know, for about an hour, collect all the books for the day, grab them, go to the, the, the chair, secure my spot, read for you know, hours and hours and hours. It's evening, you know, I'm pretty hungry by this time, you know, it's been a day of reading and then probably finish most of uh, a couple of books uh, not completely word 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 by word but more or less flip through most of the key points of uh, several books and then put them back on the shelf and leave you know <laughs> and that was basically my library you know yeah and they were totally cool with it i would say hey do, do i should i leave i literally asked the attendant should i leave at one point she's like no no please please go ahead please enjoy yourself please stay increase the ambiance of the, of the spot you know that was just a you know a place to be in solitude and kind of absorb that. And, and we are sort of <clears throat> children of the Amazon era. Yeah. These days, you can get a book literally to your fingertips in a moment. Mm-hmm. Just staying with this one idea, do you think bookstores would have been as open in the mid '90s to you sitting down and reading all their books? Oh, that's true. That's a good. That's a good point, actually. Uh, yeah, actually, I had that in the back of my mind, you know, the competitive element, you know, bookstores are a dying breed. Yeah. They had no reason to exist other than the experiential element today. Why else would you go into a bookstore, right? Yeah, they're probably realizing that's yeah. probably their core competency is maintaining that ambiance, yeah. right? The vibe. Well, I think you're doing a good job helping their cause. Uh, yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. So you were living in Nashville, working there. Tell me about that. How did you get yourself to Nashville? Uh, yeah, so... And, and even just, I, I know you were in school just before that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you can talk for a minute about what were you studying in undergraduate? What brought you from undergraduate to Nashville? Sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, during undergrad, I was at Cornell. Uh, you know, and uh, started out just studying a mix of different things because undergrad you kind of pick and choose, select, try to decide your major, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, you know, took a mix of you know computer science courses 
you know, business, you know, econ, you know, stats courses as well. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah, just a bunch of different courses in Cornell. And so, uh, obviously around junior year came around and it's time to hustle, try to get a job, you know, uh, make your degree worth something. And, uh, it was this great opportunity where, uh, I had, uh, I got to basically have a credit internship, uh, where I could work for the whole semester and also get credits for it, school credits and also get paid for it. Okay. Uh, so I did that with GE, General Electric, in Connecticut. And so while I was with them, you know, I got introduced to some folks uh, who were doing their global operations uh, unit. So basically putting together all the shared services, you know, HR, finance, et cetera, et cetera, sure. into one uh, shared services center. And so, yeah, I mean, while I was there, basically, the introduction to the folks in Nashville happened, you know, and, and, and so... Yeah, I went back to school and, and uh, in, a, in a way, it was almost a bad thing for me to do that credit internship because I missed out on all the on-campus recruiting that was going on during that time. Okay. So I kind of limited my scope to only the path that was, you know, the scope of options that were presented to me during the credit in internship, whereas I could have potentially gone to a job in San Francisco or New York or elsewhere where the majority of my peers ended up, right? And so... Because of that scope of options, I had to almost, it was almost like a preordained thing where it's like, sheesh, I'm coming back senior year, there's a limited amount of on-campus opportunities. Should I really take the risk and, and hold out till the end of the year and maybe not get a job or, or just take the job that I already have waiting for me in Asheville? So I was like, you know what, new place, you know, let me, let me jump, let me jump for it. It's not, what's the worst that could happen, right? And so I came to Nashville, new city, and you nobody there. Most of my friends had gone to New York or SF, right? And so uh, that's how I ended up in Nashville. Really. It's funny you bring that up about not wanting to or feeling that you maybe should have not taken that internship. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think about, first it makes me think about the book The Obstacle is the Way. And there's, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've read that by Ryan, mm -hmm. Ryan Holiday. And just that the difficulties that people have sometimes lead to whatever success they end up having later on. Mm. Because I have found at times in my life when I'm in the main path that people are going down, yeah. it feels good and it feels right. And you are in that on-campus recruiting. And for me, I was in a, I ended up getting a job in finance. Yeah because the momentum was just so strong in that direction. Yeah. But it took a long time until I was able to stand back and wonder whether I was making the right decision. It took a long time for me to even make a decision. Hmm. Do you think you were put into a spot either coming out of that internship program mm -hmm. or then later on in Nashville to make a focused decision on what you were going to do next because you were not in the on-campus recruiting, the programs other people were in. You seem to have been in your own little, your own little space there. Yeah, that's actually such a profound point, actually. I never thought about it in that way. That set of circumstances, wow. Uh, uh, yeah, to be honest with you, it was like a, it was like a, a blessing in disguise, right? Where it was initially, it was like, hey, made the bad decision, but that veered me off the traditional, the highway, the lanes, stick to your lane, go go to finance, go to tech, 
do what you need to do, rise up the ranks, get a family, get married, blah, 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 right? That, that lane, that lane was quite clear. Sure. When you go to an Ivy League school, you do certain things, right? Um, but yeah, to be honest, that really, the beat, veering off the beaten path, going to Nashville, and then uh, having that rude awakening in the sense of, hey, what's going on here? You know, I'm not on the lane, I'm off the highway. I'm in some dirt road somewhere. I got a in Nashville. In Nashville, of all places, and you got to really, you know, hustle and get out of here and, and a go to where the highway is going, or or try to bootstrap above it, right? Yeah. And so that's yeah. So what can you? I know a little bit about this story, and we're gonna jump around here. You have a exciting background of places you've been and things you've done. While you were in Nashville, not to have you rag on any of your experiences, but you ended up finding your way to UCL and that master's program you were talking about. Mm -hmm. And was there a moment at which you said, enough is enough. This is not where I want to be. This is not what I want to be doing. I saw my friends go to... California and get into tech jobs and get on a path that is a ship that's already sailed. I almost can't get on that. Mm-hmm. And I have plans and I have goals and I'm going to meet those. Mm-hmm. Was there, was there a time, was there a specific time that that happened? And if not, or if there was, what, what were you thinking about while you were making your plans for the next move from Nashville? Uh, I mean, yeah, not to, I mean, rag on the experience or anything like that, but uh, there were kind of a series of series of events that kind of really cemented it in my head that hey, we we gotta make a move. Um, one was when you know I was kind of uh, at work, right, and you know, in one of the various meetings, uh, and essentially, uh, you know, there was a conversation going on, and it was. So it was about cloud, right? And it was a sales pitch about a company was trying to sell the co- us, the um, the company I work for, uh, to purchase a cloud offering. And the lady that was selling it uh, literally put a, a picture of a cloud on on the PowerPoint screen, right? She said, "Hey, here's the cloud. Your data will be safe in the cloud because we're going to have clouds in the sky. You know, it's going to be safe. The sky is going to be there." Like she put it as that it was obviously meant, meant as a metaphor, but for the for the folks in the room that really resonated with them because it was a new idea, you know, they were getting used to it. They had their on-premise, you know, server solutions that they were so comfortable with, migrating to the cloud to an unknown third-party. So like it was such a foreign concept to them, and that really honed it to me. I was by far the youngest person in the room, right? And I was like, "What am I doing here? Right? What am I doing here?" It's like my friends are are working with TensorFlow, a cutting edge machine learning models that are completely hosted in the cloud, like light years ahead of me, and I'm here trying to make the transition from, you know, a generation that's three, uh, you know, generation before me, right? And <laughs> that was just one incident, and the other was kind of more hit home, more personally for me. Uh, I, so my house, my apartment. Had like a floor-to-ceiling glass window and like a balcony, and we were on the ground floor. It was a you know one-bedroom apartment. It was just me, and it overlooked the pool, right? And this is this is tough, but uh, basically uh, on the weekends, Nashville, great weather, etc. 
uh, everyone would come out and hang out by the pool, right? And uh, the, the thing was, everyone was in their own little friend groups. They knew each other for years. They'd gone to high school in Tallahassee or whatever it is, come to Nashville to work. Like, it's a friend group. It's a defined friend group. And I tried a couple times going and, you know, saying hi, et cetera, et cetera. It's cool, and, but I was never really a part of the group. I was always the outsider, right? And it was pretty delineated in more ways than one, uh, you know, if, if you know what I mean, right? And, and so, so one day I was just looking out uh, my window, and they were having a huge party outside, you know, music thumping. And I'm in here in my house, and it's dark, and I'm trying to take an online course, trying to better myself, you know, I'm like... Sheesh, like, I'm grinding out here in Nashville for God knows how long, you know? Like, I might be here for years. The rate that the company's going, like, at the rate that my job is going, uh, you know, getting a 1, 2K raise a year. It's like, sheesh, I, we got we to gotta make a move. You know, I don't care. Come hell or high water, we're going to make this happen, and I'm going to be successful, you know? It like, it was, fuck everyone yeah. that's out here in this pool partying. I, like, I'm gonna make sure that you know me. You know, yeah. I'm here. You know, uh, that was the that was the kind of feeling. It was very personal, you know. But yeah, that's just being honest. Well, that's what it takes, I think, right? In a way, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how people come from privileged backgrounds and do great things as well, right? Uh, yeah, I, my own experience was somewhat similar to the first story, especially where I had friends and I saw people who were doing things that were really cutting edge, and I thought it was actual interesting work mm -hmm. and my work was not that yeah and every day felt like a delay in me actually working toward what I wanted to get to and and contributing and building the career that I wanted to have and once I realized that other people were doing this exciting stuff all these meetings we were having just became draining on me it was like wh why am I why am I sitting here? This is yeah. just wasting my time. And yeah. I think time became this huge motivator. Yes. Where I was really anxious. It was... So true. Right? Your 20s are passing by. Yeah. Right? And, and what, it, it's... You see these stories, the social network, you see all these things. And right. it's, I grew up thinking about Bill Gates and knowing that Bill Gates was 30 years old when he made a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there were some guys in my own, there was one guy in my class that started with me at school who started a company and left school to start the company and it got huge. And there were others that I knew that had started very early at different tech companies. And it was sort of, what am I, what am I doing here? And the time thing became the biggest pressure on me where even just waking up and going to work, it was, hmm. I, I got to make a move quickly yes the clock is ticking right? yeah and that's an exciting feeling I, I now that I've been working in I guess the space I want to be in for uh, eight years now or maybe not that long six I I almost miss that point because there's so much potential at that moment yes where you, you have no idea what's about to come right you, you think that you're going to start a company and be a billionaire or you might be, cool you know. You still might be, yeah. 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 Within, within the first three years or something. Um, so you ended up deciding that this wasn't where you wanted to be, mm -hmm. that the cloud 
cloud network at <laughs> the company you were at in Nashville was not it. And made your way to London. And this was going to school, if I'm right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What was... You, you said it was hell or high water. It was almost like you were going to do anything to get there. What was the goal in your mind? How did you... Was there an end goal that you were going to take any path to get to? All over, as you know, startups are, you know, the, the way to do it. And, and the time has never been better to start a company. Every single day I used to subscribe to TechCrunch, you know. Oh, yeah, X company raised, uh, you know, 15 million. You know, B company raised 25 million, et cetera, et cetera. Like, million became desensitized, you know, just the whole notion of million. Oh, yeah, a million. Sure, it's nothing, right? Uh, so from there onwards, that that's startups was like starting something, starting a company and making that successful. That was the definitive route, really narrowed it down for me. And was it tech specifically, software, or were you looking at any type of... No, I was, I was pretty broad about it, but I was you know, keeping reality in mind. It's... Realistically, it's the highest leverage that you can get today is through leveraging software. Uh, and uh, and what kind of software work were you doing at that time? Uh, wait for these folks. To, to, yeah, they're moving uh, Yeah. Uh, yeah, the kind of software work I was doing at the time was uh, basically analytics. So I was doing their internal analytics for the company. So building dashboards, getting data from various different databases, parsing it, putting it into appropriate formats, making sense of it, you know, uh, doing basic data science, things of that nature. Um, uh, and then also collaborating with other, other you know, sections of the company to see what kind of metrics uh, could be useful for them and creating those. Uh, it was more of a kind of data science, you know, making sense of data role rather than a pure engineering heavy role. Sure. So when you were looking for the next move, the next point in your path, uh-huh. and you worked in, in from, or you went, you proceeded to end up going to an information sciences mm-hmm. program, that would seem to me that that sort of fits what you had been working in, probably fit your resume for lack of a better word mm-hmm. um, how how did you make the decision to to look at London and I ask because I made a similar decision I yeah. came here for school yeah and that's for its own reasons that I can get into later but mm-hmm. there's a lot of schools in the United States mm-hmm. and you had been in New York you worked in Connecticut you worked in Nashville. Yeah. Um, arguably, the schools in the United States are the best schools in the world. Sure. Why Why even look at London? I mean, let me be real with you, man. I mean, as you spoke about, the scope of options was narrowed down to starting a company and, and making it come hell or high water. Yeah. And so coming to London, going to this particular school was purely as a stepping stone to start a company. And, you know, I had it, I had it kind of mapped out in a way, you know, so I read this paper by a professor at UCL, uh, is, you know, advertising unsupervised clustering, it's a branch of machine learning, emailed him, reached out to him, he said, hey, look, we have this master's program here, 
would love to have you come in, also do research with us. I was like, okay, cool. Uh, and then looked into UCL a bit more. And uh, essentially this, this program was linked to uh, enterprise, you know, business kind of grants that uh, they gave to help, uh, help, help young entrepreneurs start businesses, basically, especially graduates to UCL. So it's very highly linked to that, this program. And, I, and then I talked to the professor about this and they said, yeah, you know what, that's true. We do have a lot of people go on to start companies in the digital technology sector. London, the UK as a whole, is looking for more talent to come in and help us in the space. They want us to set up this kind of Silicon Valley point 2.0, Silicon Roundabout, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, hey, you know what? This is a great stepping point. If I evaluated the scope of options available to me in the US, I had to spend A, two years versus one year. Uh, like. The goal was not to get an education. Let's let's be real here. The goal is not to spend time getting educated. Yeah. The goal is to move on and start a company. And what is the highest leverage point I can get to start a company? The period. You know, I could quit my job and try to get an, get into an accelerator somewhere in New York or in the Valley. Just move to the Valley and try to hustle. Or this is a somewhat somewhat more unique strategy, but also more uh, less risky strategy in a way because the the kind of end grant was almost guaranteed if you did well in the program you know uh so the choice was clear to me and it was a great change you know my family was moving around we kept moving around when i was growing up and they had moved to london and they were like hey you know what if you come here it's a soft landing spot for you soft landing come in it's not like Nashville where you don't know anyone you can at least know your family and then we can move on from there yeah yeah that's awesome um, and this idea of almost seeing the school and the position you were in mm -hmm. as clearly as you did for what you wanted to get out of it yeah. is something that is a struggle sometimes because there's so many large things in place, whether it's education careers mm -hmm. and the way that most people go about them yeah that it's hard for people to decide and, and keep their own mindset on how they're going to operate within those rails and i see it in work a lot of times where having a motivation and having a purpose on what you want to get out of the job mm -hmm. oftentimes it's the best way to go through the position in order to get to that next goal, whether it's starting a company, uh, you know, making enough money to be able to leave and go to a less strenuous job, something like that. Mm -hmm. I also think it makes you good at the job because you focus on the points that you want to get out of it. And it's better a lot of times to be very focused on particular points, I think, and be really good at them mm -hmm. than just saying, okay, I'm here for school. What do you have for me? Right. right. Rather than going in and saying, I want to know this one thing about machine learning because I think that there's money or there's opportunity in that and I'm going to dominate that one thing. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Did you, did you have a purpose academically when you showed up? Yeah, I mean, to, 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 on that point, you know, like, in a way, yeah, I did, you know, and that was kind of my regret from Cornell was I kind of wasted a fantastic opportunity, uh, you know, truth be told, not completely wasted, it was great, I got a degree, et cetera, et cetera, but I didn't arrive to school knowing what I wanted to get out of the experience, while others did, 
they had folks that had, they had dads or you know moms that had gone to institutions like that before, gone into the right fraternities or sororities or whatever it is, know the kind of ladder, know the kind of steps she got to take. I, I kind of didn't, right? And I came in and I was kind of really fresh-eyed. Hey, what do you have for me, Cornell? Let me experience it, right? Whereas here, it was quite clear. I'd done so much research online. I had literally been spending my weekends in a dark house, watching a pool, being motivated to do something, right? And that, you know, I had it all mapped out in my Evernote, all the notes. Uh, and so the goal was to get a tangible set of skills uh, to, you know, launch a business. And so I mapped out all those skills, what I would need to do that, especially a, a scalable software product, right? So B2B or B2C, uh, business to consumer, business to business. And I kind of had that list of skills and that's what I wanted to get out of this program. Yeah. Yeah. I, it makes me think of this story when I was graduating college uh -huh. and we we're in our fraternity house the same time that we were celebrating graduating, which was my birthday, happened to be my 22nd birthday, mm. the guys were coming back for their 25th and 50th anniversaries uh -huh. or reunions. And the guys who were back for their 50th reunion all were given a maroon blazer. Mm. And it was so cool. It was, you'd be at the graduation, you look over and these guys just have these sweet maroon blazers. And we had this party going on at the fraternity afterwards. And I was talking to this woman uh -huh. and she said, congratulations. Um, my husband is celebrating his 50th reunion and that's why I'm back. I actually went to school just up the road at Simmons College. I was at graduating from MIT and I used to party at this fraternity house. This is where I met my husband 50 years ago. Okay. Like, wow, that's, that's crazy. And she wow. said, what? What are you What are you doing after college? Yeah, and I said I'm going to work in finance. So no, congratulations. What did you What did you study? What are you What degree are you getting? Mm -hmm. And I said mechanical engineering. Mm -hmm. And she's like, Ah, oh, my husband would be crushed. He is a mechanical engineering professor Ooh. at Princeton. Ooh. And these days, all of his students go off and they go into finance, and uh -huh. he's just killed by it. And I felt a little bit of guilt and I was like, oh, that's tough. And she said, yeah, but, you know, take, take the time. If you go back to school, you want to go back to school for something you are excited about. Yes. And you, this is the first time I thought about this. She said, you have never decided to go to school in your whole life. True. You're 22 years old and you have been going through the path. You've done well at that path, but... Yeah. At some point, you want to be in school because you want to learn. And that was my experience with school. I mean, halfway through college, I had decided that I wanted to learn a lot in the with the opportunity. I wanted to take advantage of it. Right. But it wasn't until I went back to school that I had this sort of aggressiveness yes. towards school where uh -huh. I could get up and, and work early and I would read before lessons, yes, things like that. Yes. I had never done that before. And it, I, I think about this woman all the time. I mean, I'll probably never meet her again. I don't even know her name, but yeah. it had such an impact on me because it's a really nice feeling to be able to learn on your own. And your point about, I mean, doing your own learning in, in your room or whatever it might be, it can come in any form, but having that is, it's a whole different amount that you absorb. Yes. Yes. Right. 
when you take the agency, when you say, I, I made this choice, so I better fucking do it, you know? Yeah. Like, it's, it's on me, you know? Or you, you drift into apathy and you're like, uh, you know, I don't care, whatever, right? It's easy to do that as well. You can uh, drift it on both sides of the pendulum. Where yeah. It's like, I made this choice. I got to do it. It's on me. It's only me that's stopping me, right? Versus, oh, there's no one else to keep me accountable. I can just lie in bed all day, right? Yeah. And it's both sides of the pendulum, I think, to keep a balance. And even looking at how the previous choices you'd made got you to the point of being in that apartment in Nashville. Right. Yeah, that to be honest, this you opened my eyes to that. It's like, wow, I didn't think of it that way, you know. And, and for the for better, but then at the time, almost even for worse. So the the for me, mm-hmm. I I had felt times where software wise, I felt definitely inferior to a lot of peers who had studied this in school. Mm-hmm. But that was my own choice. I stu- I decided not to study that. I decided not to learn that younger. Right. right. So when I went back and I wanted to learn it, uh-huh. it was with a new vigor because I was the reason that I was in the position I was yes. in and didn't yes. have that knowledge. And I think taking that ownership was a huge step. Mm-hmm. Not feeling like, woe is me, I'm in this position and I, I'm not going to get here or there, but no, now going forward, I have total control over what I want to do. Yeah. And then it's, it's empowering. It is. It is. So you briefly mentioned bumping around a little bit, your family moving around at times. Mm -hmm. And I was hoping you can talk for a minute about the time that you spent in Turkey and living in Turkey and then particularly at the end of your time there and the decision that was put forward to you, what you were thinking of and sort of what came out of that. Yeah. Yeah. So for some context, I was there, uh, my junior year of high school, you know, that was at the end of my time there. I'd been there for four years and, uh, essentially my family, you know, my father was being transferred, you know, we as a family uh, were going to move to Israel, to Tel Aviv, from Istanbul in Turkey and uh, you know I had this whole setup going in high school you know I was you know I had uh, you know friends I had you know a good social circle I had good relationships with the teachers and for recommendations for college etc etc you know the extracurriculars were on point you know, everything was set up it was planned you know and and so this kind of disruption especially like a, a huge shift not only from the environment, but also like the, to be really practical, like the educational system. And so I was in IB, it was an international baccalaureate. That was the program uh, that I was in, in Turkey. And that would be shifting to APs, which are, you know, American system, uh, you know, advanced placement courses uh, in, in Israel. That was the availability was there. There were no IB schools. And so it was, uh, it was a tough choice, really. Where at the end, where it's like, okay, first of all, I'm just gonna go there for one year and uh, and then graduate high school from there and try to get into a good college from there, or should I stay on alone in Turkey while my family moved on and uh, just finish school here and try to get into a solid program, a solid college uh, for undergraduate, right? It was a it was a tough call. Uh, end of the day, you know, made the decision to move with my family. Uh, it was kind of in a way. It proved out to be a fantastic, fantastic decision. A, because it exposed myself to so many new experiences. But that was actually what I wrote about 
in the college essay that I wrote to colleges when I applied. I say, hey, you know what? Right now I'm on a flight. I was writing it on the flight from Istanbul to Israel. I was like, I'm starting to prep. Let's write the first draft now. I'm on a flight right now from Istanbul to uh, Tel Aviv. And we're moving uh, houses, we're moving schools, we're moving programs, we're moving friend groups, we're moving everything. And, and you know, I'm going to start anew again. I'm going to be the new kid in school, in my senior year of high school. And, and that's empowering in a way in, in the world we're living in today. You know, and I think honestly, truth be told, looking back, that helped me get into a quality school, quality program. Helped me get offered some quality programs, which I otherwise wouldn't have gotten just through my grades alone. Just the diversity of experiences, you know. Uh, yeah, that's kind of the and and then beyond that, <clears throat> back to what you had mentioned earlier when when you looked at going to the UK and to London and school as being this stepping stone towards starting a company. Yeah, was there any part of you in going to Tel Aviv mm-hmm. that was sort of okay, maybe this will be a stepping stone towards school. Were you cognizant of that, that this is making me unique and making me a special case? I'm not just another applicant, but I'm, I mean, you're writing that essay. You got to know that you're pulling at the heartstrings a little bit. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, And that was probably pitched to you by your parents a little bit, maybe? uh, Not so much. Not so much. Uh, A little bit. They were, to be honest, they were really open about it. They were like, hey, said you take the call. If you want to stay for another year, you know, we'll foot the bill for wherever you want to stay. And because you got a lot going on here, you got all this set up, you know, uh, versus also if you want to come, come move with us, that's obviously we'd love to have you with us. They're completely open to it. So in, in a way, it was almost stressful where it's like, oh, shit, it's on me, the decision. Right. And it's like, I'm just a high schooler. What am I supposed to do? Right. And then again, going back to rationally thinking about that stepping stone. Uh, metaphor that you brought up it's like truth be told this could be an opportunity in disguise like who else gets to move during their junior and senior years and have such an experience and it literally fits into the point of when you are writing a college application that's exactly when you're doing it It, yeah it wasn't lying it was genuinely happening right so it was it was it turned out to be an uh, blessing in disguise totally yeah now that you are living in London and you've lived in these different places, so we've only gotten on a few of them, of Turkey, Tel Aviv, the U.S., mm-hmm. London, mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you sort of identify with different areas? I know that prior to going over to um, Turkey and other places you've lived, you've spent, you've spent a lot of time in the U.S., mm-hmm. Um, we're sitting right now in London. Is there is there a sense that um, it's been hard to move away and not have roots somewhere when I, you were saying that your family was in London for a bit when you came over here? Is it just something that you've sort of grabbed from your your family that they were bouncing around at different times and that feels feels almost natural to you? Yeah, I think so. I think so, in a way. Uh, uh, it's uh, There is no roots for me. You know, there, there is no roots. And uh, it comes back to the element of solitude, in a way. You, you, take, you take satisfaction, you take kind of comfort 
in knowing that you can be by yourself anywhere in the world and be okay with it. You know, I've only recently have I come to the realization, you know, post Nashville, you know, in London when I'm really getting into it, that it's okay. And you know what? I'm not gonna die. It's okay. And, and partly that's due to due to just repetitive experiences of being alone in new places where it's just you become desensitized to it and it's not the end of the world that hey I'm not gonna have any friends I'm not gonna have anyone I know you know what I'm gonna walk home alone uh, several days a week uh, back from work and I'm gonna be okay with it that's okay you know uh, and, and, yeah that 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 part where there is no rules there's no sense of identity the identity is you being yourself in where you are it's a very circular egotistical kind of thing but you know that's that's how yeah. it turns out to be and this probably gets back even to the bookstore mm -hmm. because especially in london we have speak the same language as the yeah. u.s yes do you do you do you feel that as well is it is it one of those things where it's like wherever you go well if i get myself into a bookstore i can always just grab a book sit down it's no different and is there, are, are there other habits that you have? I, for me, I do have habits like that. Uh -huh. And strangely, one of those is Starbucks. Really? Yeah, just because the it's so cookie cutter uh -huh. that I've found myself in Turkey at times. Yeah. And I was in Turkey immediately after the coup several oh, years ago. Yeah. And it was my first trip to Turkey. Yeah. And I get off the plane... And had to go from the international ter terminal to the domestic terminal and sit in the domestic terminal for about 16 hours prior to taking, taking a domestic flight. And then was in the center of Turkey for six days. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like I am in the middle of nowhere. How, how did I get myself here? There is a coup that almost just happened. Yeah. They took over the speakers in order to have some Announcement. announcements and things happening each day. Then when we finally made our way back to Istanbul mm -hmm. and we got ourselves to Starbucks, it was like being welcomed to Ellis Island. I was like, this is what I've been craving. Yes. And I can see how bookstores at times have a similar feeling mm -hmm. because you can get lost in a book, you know, you don't, it doesn't matter where you are. Um, I, do, you, do you, if you're at a bookstore here in London, mm -hmm. Or if you were in Nashville and happen to go back to one, do you have that same feeling of, okay, this is something that sort of comes with me. This is a personal thing that I can get back to a certain place in my being whenever I'm at this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. hundred percent. I think it comes down to routine, to be honest, habitual routine. Like I literally used to go every single Sunday to a Barnes & Noble in Nashville. And now, uh, you know, it's initially when I came to London, I used to go to Waterstones, the equivalent of Barnes & Noble here, every single, you know, uh, week, you know. And, and that repetition kind of ingrains in you that, that sense of habit that, we, oh, it's these old habits, like deja vu. I can go back to it anytime and I feel comfortable because I've done it so often yeah. before. Yeah. As long as there's an English book in front of me, that's fine, you know. Uh, and those same things apply to other habits. Repetitive habits as well, I think. Yeah. With all these different places that you've lived, and in the solitude, I, I've experienced a lot of that myself. It feels good to be in this place, but how do you look at the ability to move around these days? 
it would probably not be as easy for our parents, let's say, to bounce around like this and feel as, um, they would probably feel even more alone. Do you see that? Do you, do you, do you stay connected in a way that um, keeps you sort of curious about where you might be next, willing to go somewhere that might put you alone again because you stay connected, because you are able to converse with people very easily. You're able to probably find an English book even if you were in China or France or Africa. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, part of that, I mean, it's, you know, to, truth be told, even today I'm essentially alone, you know, right? And, and, and part of it is is what you're doing at the moment, right? The work. And secondly, I mean, it's the internet, man. I mean, uh, parents and people before us didn't have the opportunity to just look at a phone and not even to converse with people. It's not even about talking with friends that you're not in touch with, but seeing other people do similar things online itself is a form of social interaction in a, in a convoluted sort of way, yeah. right? Uh, if you're in, if I was in, a remote country with no basketball, for example, and I'm seeing basketball highlights in American commentary, NBA commentary about Vince Carter doing X, Y, Z. That's in itself an interaction for me. It counts as an interaction. Yeah. I've already interacted with that commentator. So I'm, I'm already in that space. I don't even need to physically talk to someone. You know, it's, yeah. it's become to that extent, the level of internet uh, exposure. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know? Okay, so I guess just... One more on this. You're here right now, and as I brought up in the beginning, you have started a company. Yeah. What do you think about that same idea in terms of starting a company and where it can be founded? Was there any nervousness coming to London and starting a company? I mean, you're watching the same news as me, and yeah. I'll tell you what, the United States seems to have a lot of the big tech companies. Oh, yeah. Uh, they, yeah, there's pros and cons, right? Uh, the, 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 the cons is, well, it's, it's, it's kind of, you're in a, you're in a, you're a, you could be a bigger fish in a smaller pond, essentially. Uh, the United States is a huge ocean, a lot of competition, but at the same time, a lot of money floating around, right? People raising millions every day, uh, for seed rounds. Uh, so in a way, I'd always felt com more comfortable being that kind of bigger fish in a small pond. Uh, just because a you have more of a shot to get it in the door, get your foot in the door, at least get in the ball game. Once you're in there, you can hustle and try to make things happen. If you can't even get in the ball game, like I was in the states, it's you're gonna be riding the bench forever. To <laughs> call on the sports analogy, right? And so I, I wanted to get in the game, come hell or high water, you know. And so once I'm in the game, as I am now. Hey, the the world is my oyster, right? It's yeah. fantastic. It doesn't matter where you started. Once you're in the ball game, you're in it. You know, by in the ball game in terms of starting a company, I mean you know you've gotten you a either have paying customers, you have revenue, you have sustainable business, or you've gotten venture funding, you've gotten seed funding, and you're set. You have some runway. You, have, you can grow a team, you can hire a team, you can grow a product, build a product, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You're in the ball game. You're competing for a shot at the championship. You know, and so. And I guess the biggest companies are international. So with that in mind, it's the U.S. market eventually could become 
a market that you go after, right? Huge market. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. So you're, am I right that you're working in order to raise that money, get those initial customers, hire that initial team mm-hmm. to build a product that in the beginning might only be aimed at people in the UK, people in Europe, and then eventually can go to the States and beyond? Or are you thinking right off the bat, this is because of the internet, we are international? Yeah, you're right. I mean, the the notion of business as being, you know, regional, is, I think it's kind of passed us by, at least in certain industries, the industry that I mean, you know, it's it's global from the very get-go. We have people in Hong Kong, we have people in Singapore, in, in San Francisco using the product, you know, on a day-by-day basis. Just because of the internet, speeds of data transfer, you know, time difference be damned, you know. We don't even need to physically talk to them for us to use their product, use our product, you know. And so, I don't need to meet with someone face-to-face and say, hey, uh, can you buy what we're selling here it's it's completely online completely decentralized yeah. <laughs> pun intended right uh so then you're working in crypto yeah yep. uh yeah so you know the company's called token analyst you know and uh, essentially what we're doing is we're providing data into what's going on in the blockchain uh, so a lot of people today in crypto focus on the price you know, on market cap they see things going up or down, there's a big market crash today, it's like, oh, crypto is going down, et cetera, et cetera. What we're focusing on is what's causing these underlying shocks to the market. What are the actual transactions on the ledger, on the distributed ledger, on the blockchain? And what do they tell us about the state of the industry, about who are the players that are interacting? Uh, and so essentially we're using machine learning to analyze the transactions on the blockchain itself and to make sense of it. And these are multiple blockchains? Is this Bitcoin, Ethereum? Yeah, we started out with Ethereum because it has all these different tokens built on top of it, so we could have a broad scope of you know uh, of attack vectors, and then we're gonna move to uh, Bitcoin and some of the other big blockchains soon. So it sounds to me that there's almost no <clears throat> there's no downside to doing or starting a company in this space in London versus versus anywhere else. That it's about where you can get money, where you can hire people. Does that mean that there, where's there room for growth here? And I'm speaking mostly about globally. Like how, how do you, how do you see the next five, 10 years playing out in terms of how will technology allow companies that succeed to not all be based in San Francisco and London, mm-hmm. but have you know people one single guy who's living in Turkey or in China or in South America? Mm-hmm. Is there going to be continued movement toward that direction in the way that you know early two thousands a lot of this was coming out of San Francisco Bay Area? Right. Now you have the Londons, Hong Kong, Singapore is being as strong. Do you foresee somewhere like, you know, Buenos Aires or these places? Are, are they there now? Are they getting there? Like, what what is stopping that? Uh, well, what's stopping that? Well, what's what's kind of hampering that to an extent is that people who are friends in real life, 
in in day-to-day interactions like are that they are in uh, San Francisco for example they go get drinks with each other they date each other etc etc tend to fund each other as well right that's the ecosystem that's how an ecosystem develops right sure. startups that uh, raise money exit and then now they're all friends with each, with each other thus all the, the ex-founders become angels and they start reinvesting back into the community the startup community Okay. And thus an ecosystem develops, like has been in London and in Stockholm and in Berlin, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but now, I mean, that was the promise of blockchain in, in a way, you know, where we, even today, to be honest, we have decentralized app developers, DAP developers from Buenos Aires, from Chile, from Colombia, from Bangladesh, from Thailand, who work from their basements, from a beach, and they get paid in tokens just purely based on uh, the merit of their contributions, uh, right? And it's such an, it's moving more and more towards this kind of open source uh, world of software development, especially, especially from that perspective, where very little is actually kept closed source, except for the actual data, the actual software, the, the microservices, the, the logic is very much open sourced and that's the direction it's moving in. And so when you can be an active contributor to an open source uh, directory, an open source project, right? You can be recognized the world over for your contributions based on your merit. So the key, one of the key things that pissed me off about when I was working in the, in the States was whatever I did, whether I stayed up till 10 p.m. and, and, and did a, a shitload of work, it would be behind the firewall of the company. No one would know about it outside except if I personally bragged about it in my CV or my resume, right? Here in this open source dynamic, especially with the people that we're hiring, everyone wants to contribute to open source because that's publicly accessible. It's a, sh- it's a, it's a board, it's a poster that says, hey, look at me. I'm doing cool, cool work. I'm contributing to this that benefits everyone. You know, and it's a, it's a billboard yeah. that advertises your, your own skills. And so that's the direction we're moving in, I think. Yeah, software really has moved <clears throat> that whole thing because of that reason. And, it, and it's really allowed people to live in different places. Because from the very beginning, at least the beginning of what I've learned about, a piece of software can be copied so easily and, and free and cheaply yeah. Yeah. that if you are sitting in a room in the middle of nowhere in Siberia, it, once you get hooked up to the internet, you can share it and that's it. You're good. And you're not hampered by how close you are to people. I, the point about these real world relationships is a really good one. I hadn't thought about that as much. And I wonder how much the virtual relationships that people have with one another, whether that's through games that they play together, whether it's through, uh, you know, just work that they do together. I know within the blockchain space, it's really popular that people contribute to the same projects from many different places. It's almost been, it's going to be one of the everlasting effects of the blockchain is how um, people have worked from different parts of the globe on single pieces of software Mm -hmm. and have done it successfully. Right. And we were talking a little bit earlier about some people we know in the recruitment space within blockchain work. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those companies I know are not focused on physical location and its skill sets. Some of it is physical, but 
with how cheap it is to fly even these days, you can go, they have flights from Paris to San Francisco for under $500 round trip. Yeah. That if you have to go check out a company and see if the work they're doing and the operation is legitimate, it's cheap enough to do that, that it's not worth paying for a bad employee in London if you can have someone that's great in another place, right? And that's why, I mean, that's an opportunity for people that are in the industry, right? Yes. You can live where you want to live. Yes, 100%. Truth because we have a person, core member of a team in France, in Strasbourg, France, one in Berlin, you know, one from Colombia, all core members of our team. Every single day we have stand up with them. We, we talk to them. I talk to them, you know, 40, 50 times a day. They're in different places in the world. It's, it's, it's nuts to just think about, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we found them. Guess where we found them? We found them in, in, in forums in, in this channel called Gitter, where developers talk about interesting projects, right? About projects that they're working on. One of the guys commented, hey, I'm working on an Ethereum ETL solution, you know, extract, transfer, and load data to a solution. We're like, hey, let's hit them up. What are you up to? Hey, we're actually doing similar things. We kept in touch for months and months and months. Uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, the project that he was working on didn't end up working out, and here we are. You know, we're working together now. You know, he's in somewhere else in the world, and we got in touch, and he came to London for two weeks uh, to spend time with us, and we've become really good, you know, coworkers, you know, friends. To be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, and that would have never happened in 20, 30 years ago yeah. with this kind of working environment. I think that the biggest change that's going to happen is the way that the next generation, generation after millennials, whatever it is, yeah. uh, Snapchat generation or whatever, the way that they just view relationships. Uh-huh. And this is something that I've seen with my parents and the way that they look at things is that almost conveying emotion over text message took a long time for that generation to understand. Whereas we seem to be better at saying, throw throw a emoji in there, let somebody yes. know you care about them, say something a little bit more important through email or text message. And I think you're gonna see this movement toward people who are willing to have their entire lives and some of the most important relationships they have, such as their working relationships or how much the trust that like you're bringing up somebody has and someone they're going to hire come not through that, uh, that first impression of looking them in the eye and, you know, seeing how they stand and how they speak, but rather the work that they do, the, the consistency with, with which they put out good work, the way that they've, you know, basically marketed that or marketed themselves in those mm -hmm. ways. Mm -hmm. And that, it's hard to predict how an entire almost generation is going to change how it, it's nuts. Right? It's nuts. Not just relationships, but work, right? The nature of work. What we do for the majority of our lives. It's completely going to change, you know? You're not going to go to an office and check in and out and sit in front of a computer all day. You might just sit in front of a computer all day potentially, but... It, at the same spot, most probably not. You know, I mean, we're we're sitting right now in shared office space, right? And I, even at, at my job, I am frequently moving my location, mm -hmm. and 
it's something that becomes a strength rather than almost an an issue you have to overcome. Mm-hmm. It, because it allows you when you do have to adjust that you can do it so seamlessly. Yeah, and it doesn't slow down the rhythm that you have. Yeah, right. Like you're used to it. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's wild. Um, all right, now we're gonna go through a few. A few quicker questions. We're living here in London. Uh-huh. I want to hear your thoughts on a few things. The first one is, is there any vocabulary you've picked up since you've gotten here? Any words the locals use a good amount that you find have maybe entered the vernacular of your own? Uh, well, simple ones, right? Like me, lad, right? Yeah, simple ones. Uh, a, a kind of lesser known one is called allow that. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if you've Can heard you of that use one. it? Uh, I, yeah, allow that, man. Allow that. Okay. What does that mean? It means, like, forget about it. Like, yeah, let it like, go. Just, just, just don't do it, right? Like, yeah, like, it's, it's weird, right? It's weird. <laughs> you've, you've heard the phrase before, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like, I've used it so many times before, and people are like, what? Oh, actually, I, I, I mean, like, you know, screw that, right? Basically. Sure. Uh, yeah. Sure. Um, if you have any friends or visitors that come, is there a favorite place in the city you like to go with them? Do you have any go-tos? Uh, go-tos. Uh, go-to spots. Um, the Thames, uh, walking by the Millennium Bridge, go-to spot. That's a surefire winner for anyone who comes to London. You know that. Uh, well, the spot I'm living in right now, the Barbican, it's fantastic. It's it's like a hidden city within a city. It's It's... It's nuts. You saw it. That's right? the Barbican. B A R B I C A N. Yes, exactly. The Barbican. You guys have to Google it. Check it out. Uh, it has a, a greenhouse inside it, a basketball court, a football court, a pitch. You know, a gym. It's it's just a city within a city. It was built in the 1940s. It's it's nuts. Right? Football, by the way, is that uh, a word you've picked up? You always call it football. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was in Turkey, and yeah. it is. It's football. Uh, okay. It's football. It's football. I've picked up football as well. Oh, for sure. For sure. The word soccer just doesn't go anywhere no. here. No. <clears throat> if someone were to come here for more than just a weekend, mm-hmm. let's say they were going to live here for six months, Ooh. three months, what would you tell them they should uh, maybe check out, frequent, add into uh, their routine? A routine or a place to see not far away? Uh, well, within London, you know, London... You know the quote, right? You grow, uh, you get bored of London, you get you're bored of life, right? Uh, but within London, weekend markets like uh, you know just grocery markets, uh, a lot of street markets around town, the parks, fantastic to check out for great runs, for just atmosphere, for meeting people. To be honest, we had people, someone from our team met uh, his or her uh, his future girlfriend uh, from a park. In London, right? It doesn't get mentioned enough around it does not. London. The green space is really yes. good. It's amazing. It's amazing. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, yeah, that's probably within London. And then outside of London, not too much. But, I mean, you could go on a nice hike in Wales, for example. Go down south. Uh, see the cliffs of Dover. Fantastic scenery. You know, world-beating scenery. I'm ashamed to say I haven't been. Really? Wow. Well, you have got to go, man. Probably not. Maybe better weather, like March, April. Sure. Fantastic, dreamy weather. You know. Okay. You know, uh, my my favorite thing was I, I took my GoPro there, 
and the cliff, it's literally, uh, you know, it drops, it's a straight face, it's white, right? You know, you've seen the pictures, yep. right? And I, and I hung, and I was, put myself, I was leaning over the edge, my GoPro uh, above, and the cliff's right below. It, it's just wow. an incredible shot, incredible shot. You see the curvature, the white, uh, wow, yeah. <clears throat> On this, is there something you hear people often bring up about London, or a place that is just underwhelming? Steer clear of. Underwhelming in London? Yeah, just that maybe a common tourist spot. Common tourist spot. Um, Piccadilly Circus, potentially. Potentially. It's not that underwhelming. It's, sure. It's solid. It is. You know, it's Regent solid. Street is, I think. Regent Street. Uh, the most beautiful street of home. Yeah. By far. I love it. By far. Yeah. Easily. Underwhelming, I would say probably the most underwhelming is the fish and chips. It's not one spot. There's several spots, obviously. <laughs> the fish and chips, people spots. have been underwhelmed by it. They're like, okay, this is it. Like, it's just junk food. I just feel like shit now, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, I could get this anywhere. Yeah. Right. Um, no, that's a good point. Yeah. I, I rarely am dying for fish and chips. I am surprised how much... Uh, kebab there is or oh, yeah. donor I, mean, mm. I don't even want to call it kebab I mean you were in Turkey mm. it's not good kebab but it's donor. everywhere here yeah yeah especially in the street markets yeah there's a yeah. lot of that late night street meat that we call it in New York City yeah they just took it off the streets here and put it into a yeah into a store <clears throat> alright well I'm not sure I have much more for you Sid is there anything that you would want to tell the listeners any other points you want to bring up yeah you know i, I think we covered most of it you know yeah absolutely. yeah to be honest i want to thank you for opening my eyes it, like this has honestly been like a self-reflective experience the the point you made about going off the beaten path and actually be, that being a, a benefit i hadn't even thought about it in that way i just thought you know what i've been off the beaten path and that was circumstances and we're, we're fighting from the, from the bottom you know started from the bottom as Drake would say sure. right? and, and so that's actually a blessing in disguise and you opened my eyes to that and thank you for that absolutely I, I'm continually impressed by your uh, your independence in a lot of ways you call it solitude I think but the, the ability to sort of be at home here and in other places you've been it's I'm similar to you, you know. I've, I've been to, I've lived in a few spots, and having that, it makes all the other um, goals that you have come back into focus, and not to get overwhelmed by things that can be very overwhelming for for others or at times and things like that. Mm-hmm. All right, man. Well, thank you very much. And Thanks. there's a lot of things we didn't cover here, so maybe at some point we we get to all that. Get to prior to Turkey or other thoughts that we have about the uh, the world of blockchain, let's say. For sure, for sure. Thanks so much. Yeah, have a good one. All right, so I started off today's show with a little quote from Tom Petty and Running Down a Dream. I'll be honest, I was never a big Tom Petty fan growing up. I think I got a little sidetracked by free falling, but in my older years, I've been uh, I've been catching up with his catalog, and he really was a poet and had a lot of amazing lyrics and and I think a lot that can be learned about this world can come from some of Tom Petty's lyrics but particularly in this one 
He says, I felt so good like anything was possible. Hit cruise control and rub my eyes. The last three days, the rain was unstoppable. It was always cold, no sunshine. And it was only a few weeks ago that I was listening to this while going for a run. And that specific line really, I think, brought me brought me back to a lot of the projects, a lot of the things I've worked on, a lot of the dreams I've had where in the beginning and, and there's always points where I kind of feel like I have a good understanding of the goals and what's needed to be done, the work that's needed to be done. Everything seems right in front of me, but there's, there's that step of putting all the effort in and getting all the work done. And that's where I really um, sort of can can find some understanding where he says I hit cruise control and rub my eyes as if, as if you're in cruise control and just ready to, you know, burn the gas and make it happen and and day after day, just make it happen. But then this point about the last three days, the rain was unstoppable. It was always cold, no sunshine happens so often in a project, in some trip, in whatever it is that there's this doubt that comes in and it comes in for a few days at a time, a few weeks at a time, making it a little more um, a little bit more challenging to have the determination and the, the confidence that things are going to work out the way we expect. But, you know, I think for me and, and for a lot of the people I've talked to, um, that sort of those moments of, of uncertainty, I think, are what make what sort of give an opportunity for one to capitalize on what their goals are and to avoid the trap that so many fall down of being sidetracked by a little bit of uh, trouble, a little bit of hard work that's needed. And without that, you know, if it was easy, everyone would do it. And I think that we should, and, and I try as much as possible to really enjoy those moments of, uh, of trouble of, of like, difficulty of being pushed back against in the things that I want to do, because I know that that's the moment where my determination and my specific goals can, and how badly I want it can push me sort of past the hurdle that's just been put in front of me. Um, you know, it's only one line from a, from a song that I think most people have heard, but for me, it definitely has some relevance in a lot of the things I've tried to do myself and just beyond that I think music itself you know I go out and I go running all the time uh, listening to music and that's really when I sort of listen to the music the most if I'm working or cooking breakfast or whatever it is I'm rarely sort of paying attention to the lyrics but when I'm running I can really get myself engrossed in this and you know I, I think the sort of opening myself up to what various artists have said and and put into their songs is an extremely like uh exciting it it makes running and it makes listening to music a lot more exciting when you can let it actually impact you and change the way you look at the world and change the way you look at your own situation so if you're not someone who does that um you know whether it's tom petty or bruce springsteen or whoever your your artist of choice is um, next time that you're going for a walk or you're, you're going for a run, rather than just reciting the lyrics, think about what it meant to the person who was writing it, what they were trying to convey to other people, because it's just such a, 
a um, a positive source of inspiration and yeah, something that I think most people who who are big music people, uh, I'm sure feel a similar way. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Settle the Far. All the music you hear comes from Peggy Bunker and the Bunkmates. You can find Settle the Far on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and podcast.coreygarvey.com, where you can leave feedback and let me know future guests you'd like to hear. If you've got a fire, keep it burning. If not, light the match. And until next time, stay inspired, people.